you are interested in becoming a professional dog trainer, you might be interested in our professional course. You can learn more about it at schoolforthedogs.com slash professional course 22. We are currently accepting applicants to our next cohort, which will start at the end of August. This is a fully virtual program with only four spots. You can apply between now and June 30th. If you're listening to this in the future, visit schoolforthedogs.com slash professional course to learn about when we will be welcoming in our next cohort. Today, I am speaking to a recent graduate, Sarah Carone. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I developed this deeper relationship with dogs where prior dogs might have to me been one thing and dog training might have been one thing, but now it kind of has its, I can see its links to my own life and all these cultural things that we deal with. Yeah, so it just kind of kept getting more and more interesting to me. School, school for the dogs, for the dogs. School, school for the dogs, for the dogs. Sarah Carone, I am so happy to have you here. Why don't, why don't you introduce yourself and we can just go from there? Uh, sure. I'm Sarah Carone. I'm a recent graduate of the School for the Dogs professional course, um, and I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know, I think I told you this, but my my dad's family's from Milwaukee. Oh, cute. You did tell me that. <laughs> Although I've never been there, but uh, the main association I have with all things Wisconsin is that my grandmother when she would yell at my dad would be would always, I remember her always saying bab <laughs> yeah that's not, that's about that sounds about right yeah his name was bob and i remember like doing a, a cart like drawing a cartoon of her when i was like 7 and i spelled it i spelled it out like b a a a a b that's adorable that's like so yeah i'm not i'm from chicago i grew up in the city but um I've been living here long enough that that sounds very, very familiar. <laughs> um, so I guess let's let's maybe just talk chrono- chronologically about how you got to the professional course. And then and then I guess we can talk a little bit about what that experience is like, because uh, we are welcoming in our next cohort at the end of August. And um, I would love for... Uh, for anyone else who's interested in becoming a professional, just sort of hear about what the experience was like for you. Cool. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous of that new cohort, actually. Oh. I'm like, oh <laughs> I wish I could do it again. It was so fun. Well, do you know that I was like a School for the Dogs podcast fan girl? Uh, um, no. Well, I guess I knew that you found the you found the professional course through the podcast. Um yeah, as, it was kind as of did, actually as did Leah, and I. Sometimes it really makes me feel like I've done something right with my life when I remember that because I've often I feel like I'm talking to no one by myself in a room. But if it <laughs> like <laughs> if it got both you and uh, and Leah to the professional course and into uh, into my realm, then um, I feel glad. I mean, I'm just glad to know you, but I'm also just psyched to see what you guys are doing. So oh, that's sweet. Um, yeah, because at that time I was kind of. Um, I was digesting lots and lots of 
dog media. And I was kind of, I started, the funnel started wide and I kind of narrowed it down to more and more, um, more and more logical sorts of information. Um, well, so what, what got you interested in looking things up to begin with? And then I'm curious about like the range of things that you, you found. Um, well, so I had a dog, my partner and I kind of share this dog who, um, we don't live together, but we own a dog together. Um, but I don't know, it was during the pandemic and I, like many other people, I was spending lots and lots of time at home with my dog and kind of refocusing on my relationship with him. And I think it started out, I just wanted to like fix behaviors of his. He was reactive to other dogs on leash and um, some stuff like that. And I kind of just wanted, I wanted a fix for it. Um, So I started thinking that I could really buckle down and kind of tune up his training. And so it started wide. It started with like, you know, I would digest sort of like balanced training media. And then I was just, as I started to learn more about what were you doing, just like going into Google and Googling dog training? Yeah, basically, or like going into podcasts and Googling or um, searching dog training podcast, Mm -hmm. essentially, and just kind of taking things that people were suggesting. And yeah, I think School for the Dogs podcast was the first podcast that I found that was science-based that seemed to be accessible for a lay person. And that is sort of why I started getting obsessed with it. And from there, I kind of um, developed a deeper understanding of animal behavior. And was from that, I was able to be more discerning in my, uh, my further education, I guess. Cool. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, well, that's really, really nice to hear. I mean, I was, I was reading all the bad stuff. It was like, I was doing when we first got our dog, I was doing the Caesar Milan. I was doing like from the worst to the, the kind of like that kind of thing. (laughs) Or yeah, I would make him like, we would see a small animal outside, like a squirrel or something. And I would make him sit for some reason. And I thought that was humans are obsessed with sitting. Oh, it's just the worst. (laughs) I could think of worse. Yeah, that's fair. But now in my head, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I ever did something like that to him. You know, I never really used any techniques that were super aggressive, but I definitely would just do things that were sort of clueless like that, like make him sit or push his butt down to sit. It's all about sit. It was this this awful sit obsession. You know, I think there's a a training company – I could be wrong. I think they're like compulsion trainers with shock collars and stuff, and they're called sit means sit. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Uh, well, it's it's amazing, though, to me now how much nonsense people are willing to believe or how brainwashed we are about dogs and dog training. Last night, <laughs> do, do you know about Jeff Gelman? Uh, no. I only recently discovered him, and his videos are something. But uh, one of his big techniques is called bonking. And it involves uh, taking a rolled up towel and smacking a dog with it really hard. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, was a, I was at a party last night and someone 
was like, oh, you're a dog trainer? We have a dog training issue. Every time we watch our neighbor's dog, the neighbor's dog pees on our rug. And just just to see what would happen, I was like, well, what you need to do is get like uh, like a good sized bath towel and roll it up uh, tightly and then put rubber bands on each side and lift it up as high as you can and then just like whack the dog as soon as the dog pees. Um, and they were like, really psycho. <laughs> and they were like, I don't know if that would work on a small dog, would it? <laughs> that's really, that's like really democratic and generous of them. Um, <laughs> you think they were just being polite, like, not, like, but I don't think so. I don't think they were like, clearly, this person is crazy. I think they were just like, I don't know if that. Would work. Well, that's what's scary about it too is that you know you have a certain level of authority. Um, so they're they're probably like, oh yeah. Well, I mean, the only authority is I said I was a doctor, and they didn't know me other ways. But anyway, but, but <laughs> right, but right. I mean, it's anyway. I, I I promise that right afterwards, I was like, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Let me actually talk to you about. You're like, just take your dog to the vet, and then make sure you take him out every hour. <laughs> there you go. No problem. Or pick, or pick up the the rugs that probably smell yeah. like you. Um, yeah. There's no no uh, no towels are required. Um, anyway, uh, so I, I forgive you making your dog sit all the time. I mean, I certainly did that a million times too. And sometimes actually I, I find, I don't know if this has happened to you, but like I, when other people now ask Poppy, for instance, to do things that I think are kind of silly or even, um, how would you say like silly or, um, anti-progress like like she's jumping and someone's asking her to say sit or something like that oh, sure. like sometimes like even though here i am you know i own a freaking dog training studio <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> like this is what i do with my life like I'll, I'll get tripped up and i'll be like like the words will get caught in my mouth like and i have to like summon up everything i can to be like <clears throat> redirect the person and redirect poppy does that ever happen to you yeah you know what like my dog Chili, she actually has. It's kind of embarrasses me because I feel this way about sit, but she has an amazing sit. She'll sit anywhere when anyone asks her to. Um, What's embarrassing about that? Well, it's just we should, that, we should all be so embarrassed. <laughs> I know. I'm like, wow. I'm like, did I put so much training energy into sit that she just has this totally foolproof sit? Um, Good. I guess. Um, I'm like, wow, maybe I should work on something more, just a little more meaningful, but it does the trick. I mean, uninitiated uh, greeters are impressed usually. I mean, a default sit is, is not a bad, bad thing if only because people are going to say to her, sit, 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 sit five times in five seconds. Um, So if she gets it, if she gets it, if she's going to sit anyway, despite them even asking. Um, yeah, that's true. It's like, um, it's like a tool and I gave her to navigate the world a little better, I guess. Totally. Totally. People are, um, much more willing to deal with a sitting, a sitting dog. So you were working, so you were, you were whittling your way towards figuring out a kind of dog training that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it was just the more that I, read the more a kind of like positive reinforcement or science-based approach just made sense. 
which is why it's often so confusing when people seem to have lots and lots of knowledge, but they don't get to that same place. Um, the thing that gets me in any um, conversation about balance training, punishment-based training, whatever you want to call it, training that in that uh, defines Lima differently than I would, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the associations the dog is making. It's the classical conditioning, right? Like, how do you account for that? How do you account for the dog not associating? getting whacked with a towel with the room that he's in and the person holding the towel and everything else that was in the environment when that happened. And is oh, it just sure. like, how, yeah, do you sure. de- how, how do you deny, how do you deny that? And, and do you just accept that whatever effects that might have uh, will happen after the client is no longer in your purview or that it probably just won't be so bad yeah and it's this idea too that um sure of course um punishment can create behavior change but kind of at what cost and uh going through the apprenticeship i got another dog right before i started the apprenticeship um and she was 12 weeks old when i brought her home and then probably like 20-ish weeks by the time the apprenticeship started and kind of working through that with her and having a dog who's been, who's learned how to learn kind of seeing the difference between her and our older dog who we got when he was a little older. And then who I was a clumsier trainer for um, just kind of the ways that they navigate the world are so different and her ability to, yeah, her confidence in interacting with the world and understanding that, her actions have an effect on her environment are pretty incredible. That's really cool. Yeah. It's great. It's so great. It's just like, um, just, just seeing that it's like really inspiring that she's like this full little being that, yeah, just loves to learn and loves to work on her little projects and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. I love that about dog training. I love feeling like I'm watering a plant that's thriving I guess is the way to put it that I'm yeah definitely that I'm giving giving this animal what it needs to to um exist happily and it's not about I think I think that can be reduced to like oh well what you enjoy spoiling your dog (laughs) but it's it's more about giving them the tools they need to figure out what works and then like creating environments where they're going to be getting the things that they want by engaging in behaviors that are acceptable. Yeah. And also just like a slightly deeper understanding of like canine enrichment and a dog's like species specific needs has given me a lot more grace as a dog owner to, um, just more patience and more um, humor living with dogs um, when they're just doing dog things that, you know, can be inconvenient or annoying. Just kind of having that pause to be like, it's not moral. It's not personal. It's just a dog thing. Who cares? Um, Right. right. (laughs) We'll just work on it. It's not about, it's not really about me. It's like, 
okay, so she wants to shred up my stuff, so I'll give her her own things to shred or her own things to chew or her own place to dig. Um, and then it's see, not about her trying to uh, control you. And yeah, she's not trying to mess up my life. She's just trying <laughs> to. Um... Maybe she is. Maybe. Yeah. Did you um, have dogs that you trained growing up at all? Um, we had, we had dogs, but they had no formal training at all. And I'm amazed at the way many dog family dogs must have lived in the nineties. Um, like I think, yeah, we would like give them a milk bone as a present every now and then. And I don't really recall them having any toys or it must it was, it was a little bleak. Yeah, it's funny that you say it's funny that you say the '90s because I, um, I've just been writing this part of my book about like how little dog training has actually changed in the last few centuries. And you're saying the '90s, and I'm thinking like, well, kind of like it was kind of like the 1890s. <laughs> Is that true? Which part? Like that it hasn't changed that much. I, sometimes I feel like. Well, I think we have a lot more. I think we have, I mean, we do have so much more information about the science of behavior than ever before and techniques to implement change with, you know, all kinds of animals, not just dogs. And um, it's relatively recent that, you know, really only just started in the 90s that um, people started to uh, use clicker training, positive reinforcement training, da, 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 although it was being used with other animals prior to that. But but this uh, hugely popular, you know, all the, all the hugely popular trainers right now who are using aversive methods and catch poles and prong collars and, I mean, I guess electric collars they didn't have way back when, but pretty much all those other things they, they did. Um yeah, fair enough. Um, those lines. Yeah, I guess um, even though, like, anecdotally, I feel like maybe I'm primed to see it, but I do kind of feel like I see more dogs at least on harnesses or dogs slowly sniffing things in the neighborhood. Oh, I mean, I, I'm not saying there hasn't been huge amounts of progress. I think there has been, but I also think we have a long way to go and a lot of – and. I, th- I think that the majority of people out there who are training their dogs or thinking about dog training are not aware that there even is a science of behavior and that this is <laughs> that we're <laughs> using mm-hmm. technology that stems from research that's done and being done and, and that, you know, there are canine cognition, cognition labs that those exist as a thing or yeah, I think about that sometimes um, also in context of our of my historic family dogs. Just what the majority of people expect when they get a dog or why people decide to get dogs. How so? I would kind of like to see the research on that, I guess. Oh, why, like what's changed about why people get dogs? Yeah, or like what's the picture that people hold in their minds when they decide to adopt a dog? Do they like they do they expect the dog to be kind of like a piece of furniture or what mm. need is it serving for them 
That would be an interesting study, wouldn't it? To like study yeah. study why people get dogs and and um yeah, just because some of these main, these training frustrations that many people have or reasons that dogs are um, surrendered to shelters and what have you seem to be many times sort of normal dog behaviors. Yeah. Um, so that's always kind of confusing to me. Well, you know, going back into like the history of, the history of uh, dog training um, or like the modern history, I guess. People started to bring dogs into their homes, I think, largely for the first time, like only after the Industrial Revolution, you know, when suddenly there were more people living in cities rather than on farms where like the dogs were certainly outside dogs. But more than that, you know what the single biggest reason why we have dogs inside now more than ever before and pets more than ever before? Oh, what? Is, no, what is that? Flea protection. Oh, what? Flea protection. I know, right? Um, Wow, what a simple technology. Um, Like when I, I I think it was, um, look up the name of the book. I think it's um, uh, Pets in America, a History by Catherine Gurr. I think think that's where I learned that, which like, yeah, it just blew me away that this, this, simple this thing that like we so take for granted um yeah i mean I think- all these other um consequences like the fact that you own a dog training studio in new york city is yeah also then caused by flea protection right right which is crazy to think about but here's <laughs> what else is crazy to think about well i mean are there other advances too like um uh i think she talks about vaccines that helped you know, make sure that more dogs lived past puppyhood. Hmm. Um, and certainly the, the whole world of um, dog breeding and like taking out our eugenics or our desire to practice uh-huh. eugenics onto dogs instead of people <laughs> um, also led to there being so many dogs. But what, what I thought was interesting when I really started to thinking about like the flea protection, the vaccine, da, 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 da. like that's science that like I, I can't tell you about. That's like science that like I don't understand. Like I can't explain like exactly how flea protection is made or a vaccine is made. Like, like I'm not that smart. Um, but people who understand that way better than I do have been able to make these advances that have, you know, affected our lives. The basics of the science of behavior I can explain to. I mean, as I have on this podcast. Like a pretty broad, basic understanding that uh, I think you could probably explain to a 10 or 11 year old. I mean, I, I, my daughter's three and I already see her putting this stuff into place. Like they're working with our (laughs) dog. Like that's the kind of science that, that is, is um, much easier to understand by someone who's, you know, doesn't have some sort of advanced degree. Like I don't. And, um, that also has the power or I hope is having the power of like helping dogs live better, healthier, happier lives. But then there's this other way in which it's still kind of on the down low, even though it's so much less complicated than something like, I don't know, parvo vaccine. 
you know what I, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's it seems like it's well, it's easier to understand just because it has more of a relationship to your lived experience. Um, right, right. Yeah, because it describe it just describes it. So that must be that must be what that's about. But it's still treated as some sort of like a pseudoscience where, well, I mean, I guess there's people who think that vaccinations is, aren't real either. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I just I keep wondering throughout this whole dog training education of mine, I have wondered why I didn't learn this stuff sooner. Like why um, animal behavior isn't a bigger part of just regular like high school education, at least. Yeah. Like, did you learn about any of this in your earlier life? Uh, not that I remember. No, I mean, I, I, I certainly though had like biology and chemistry and environmental science, all of which I remember none of. Uh-huh. I remember the xylem and the phloem are things. Oh, it has, it I don't even know what those are. It has to do with celery. Okay. <laughs> Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Or like, I mean, God, the levels of like calculus that I was doing, and yet, and yet, this stuff isn't isn't covered. At some point, I learned that like after um, or during the Cold War, they started making kids do much higher levels of of math and science. Like they got away from like they kind of rushed through the basics to get people to you know the point of uh graduating high school with relatively um relatively complex uh, abilities because um, I, oh, I remember like doing i remember doing like math homework and my dad who was like a much better student than i ever was was like i never got close to doing this kind of math i have no idea what you're doing wow that's really interesting i like I hate that this is like a stereotype about someone who went to art school, but I'm so extremely deficient in math. Um, but isn't yeah. it amazing how, isn't it amazing how like just a little bit of basic math will get you far. And I think like a little bit of basic behavior could really help people too. Yeah, and that's so true. Like a little bit of basic math, math, like what, what do I know? Like I can figure out percentages. I could do, <laughs> yeah. I, could, I could multiply fractions if I really had to. I, <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'm like I yeah my high school algebra teacher we could just she would give us an assignment and then as soon as we were done with the assignment we could leave the classroom Um, and that's where my math education completely ended I would just finish my math homework as fast as I could and immediately leave the class you know what that's really interesting though because um have you heard of the fluency project no I went to um I was at a, a seminar a few years ago. It was about behavior, and this guy was there from the Flu- Fluency Project. And I've actually I reached out to him a couple times to try and get him on the podcast. And I think I never heard back. Maybe I need to reach out again. But I think mainly they help businesses make their workers more fluent at stuff. And as an example of fluency and what fluency means, he gave everybody worksheets that had like little math problems on it like two plus five and it was just like a page of like i don't know 30 little math problems like that like single digits adding single digits and 
he had us all fill it out and was like, you know, note how fast you did that. You know, you didn't have to stop and be like two plus three is and then like count it out or like do different steps like you just knew. Um, And that was like his example of fluency of how it has to do with that automaticity and speed with which you could do something like add single digit numbers. Hmm. Um, And uh, so it's almost like your teacher was helping you build fluency and also rewarding, rewarding you (laughs) or like, or at least like negatively reinforcing you. (laughs) (laughs) A slipshod job. Um, Um, So you, decided to do the professional course were you thinking like I want to become a dog trainer or I just want to like learn more about this stuff what were your specific goals so I didn't necessarily have a clear goal in mind I didn't know whether I really wanted to be a dog trainer professionally or not um, when I started the professional course I think I was just really interested in the topic making progress with my own dogs and it had kind of felt like I had reached the the limit of what I could teach myself Um, And that's sort of how I approached it. And I would sometimes think at the beginning of the apprenticeship, like, do I even really like dogs? Like, do I like dogs or do I, am I just really interested in dog training? And now I think people who know me would think that that was like an absolutely psychotic uh, assessment of myself. Um, (laughs) Well, like I'm to be fair. To be fair, like dogs is not one thing, right? Yeah, that's so true. Do I like humans? And I guess a lot of humans I like. I developed this deeper relationship with dogs where prior dogs might have to me been one thing and dog training might have been one thing. But now it kind of has its, I can see its links to my own life and all these cultural things that we deal with yeah so it just kind of kept getting more and more interesting to me what's an example of something you can no longer unsee um it's putting on the I'm, dog training the dog training glasses <laughs> well and not even just not sort of specifically um well i can't unsee it. all dog body language i think I feel like I walk out into the world and it's just so loud. There's dogs out there and I just, I see like every little, every little glance away from something that a dog does or every little subtle body language type thing. And Mm. that is a little bit like, maybe I wish I could unsee that part, but just kind of how, I guess the, the bigger cultural stuff is more like just how punishment is used in interpersonal relationships and then on societal levels too, like our whole, um, like the carceral system or, uh, you know, just these bigger structures that now it seems so clear that there must be a better way to do it. We must just be kind of, we're just kind of falling into this, this pattern because punishment can be reinforcing for the person who's punishing and all those sorts of effects. Does that make any sense? Yeah, hundred percent to me. Yeah, no, it's um I never thought that dog training that like deciding to become a dog trainer was like gonna be something that would change my worldview. And uh, Yeah, impact, I think when I started like impact interpersonal relationships, like that's I I, I, I was talking to a friend um 
actually Libby, who uh, uh, does a lot of work behind the scenes on this podcast uh, last week, and she was talking about her values. You know, I used to write wedding announcements for many years, an engagement announcement, and I interview couples all the time. And I remember the word values coming up a lot when people would talk about like why they were, you know, choosing this particular life partner. And I, I recall a much younger version of myself thinking like it was just such an empty word to me. Like, what did that even mean? Like we share the same values, like what, like you love your family. Like people rarely elaborated on what their values were. They just said that they had values that they shared with the other she was talking about her values and, and in a kind of broad way. And it suddenly, I suddenly thought like, Oh, I actually think I like have values now that I, could define pretty clearly. And that is a hundred percent thanks to the fact that I became a dog trainer. I think prior to that, I might've just given sort of like large generalizations about stuff like, I don't know, family and health or something. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, I totally feel the same way. That was like the big plot twist for me. Cause I think when I really early on, when I would think about dog training, I would just think about, Oh, I'll get my dog to stop pulling on leash. I'll get you know, I'll solve a a singular issue. And now it's just clear how it better communication and communication that kind of takes an individual's perspective into account is just more humane. And it's been really, it's been, it's had this kind of remarkable, like therapeutic effect for me personally too, just kind of, Mm. yeah, being able to define that, that value system and apply it, kind of test it in my relationship with my dogs where um, it's both for me um, it's easier because they're dogs. They're, you know, they're dependent on me in a way that no human animals are, but they're also, it's also more difficult because I can't just um, verbally communicate with them in the same way. Yeah. But kind of testing it, testing it with the dogs and then letting it, um, bleed out into all my other other human relationships. So tell me about the uh, about the program. Yeah, <laughs> from your point of view. <laughs> yeah, I sort of um, chose it because of the scale. It seemed like one of the um, only programs that had such a small cohort and could give such sort of individualized attention. Because um, I already had kind of a understanding of and like the basics of animal behavior I would learn that I could get better at it but I already kind of felt like I had like decent training mechanics at the time as well um so it was it was that it was like the scale the individual attention and the yeah sort of like the combo between self-study and then the check-ins with the office hours and then access to the school for the dogs community in general, sort of all the resources that you have, um, like all the trainers, all the classes, all of, all of that, um, that shadowing aspect of it. And then also the guest speaker part of it, just kind of, um, yeah, being able to engage with people that I wouldn't have been able to on my own. Uh, well, that's great to hear. Where uh, where do you see yourself going with dog training? Uh, excellent question. Um, 
I don't know. When you started working professionally as a dog trainer, did you have this period of time where you were like, I know how to train a dog. I understand lots about animal behavior, but kind of where you're trying to find like a niche, like a, like a specialty sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I, I thought of it so much as like, I need a specialty and I felt more like, I I actually think in the decade ish since I decided to become a dog trainer, I think there's a lot more specialization happening, which is a really, really good thing. So don't think a specialty occurred to me so much as much as sort of trying to figure out how to communicate all the all that I knew that I knew with new people and their dogs because um, every every individual is different. Every dog is different. No, there are no two situations that are exactly the same. Um, and how do I communicate like the solutions that I have in mind that I know will work broadly speaking to this individual and also just I guess figuring out what what I liked and what I was into was like a bit of a challenge and a process but I I I definitely had like an epiphany moment um a month or so after I graduated the Karen Pryor Academy I went to the Association for Professional Dog Training conference and I think which I think was just such a good thing to like just get out. Cause you know, I also did like a remote program. I, I think it was really great to be able to just like go and just meet a whole bunch of other dog trainers and just like hear what they were doing and, and see what, see what was like this, what this larger world was like. And, and, and I really had an epiphany at that point of like, there is so much cool stuff in this world. Like this is such, it's, this is just like such an exciting area that I knew nothing about a year ago and I think like what I really want to do is figure out how to bring this amazing stuff to more people or like just turn people on to the fact that this exists as as a world as a profession as as an interest because and 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 that that felt more exciting to me than realizing like oh what I really want to do is deal with dogs who have aggression issues or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so I, I guess that was my like moment of, of clarity, but to get to that point to, to, to get to, I mean, I, I still though worked like millions of kinds of, of cases, um, but I guess with time realized that like just one-on-one, like the thing that excited me most was like the intro session it was like, like helping shift people's point of view and in such a way that like, I'm like, Oh, even if I, I, th- I think I've helped this person even realize that there's this path that they can take. And even if like they never come back to school for the dogs, I never hear from them again. I, I think I've like turned them in the right direction. And like that to me is incredibly gratifying um, where I don't know, there are other trainers who like what makes them really happy is like seeing a, a major result in a major change in a dog going from you know unable to be home alone at all to being okay alone and or um you know being able to walk past another dog on the street and that those while those changes are exciting to me it's not as exciting as that like initial like helping people sort of have an aha moment yeah that's actually quite useful because um that little perspective shift 
is also really important to me. Like, um, I think as a dog trainer, I am really excited to just work with more dogs and, um, understand how, um, techniques are kind of applied to various individuals and sort of that troubleshooting and kind of experimentation is really exciting. Um, yeah. And just this whole field is so, it can be so expansive. I'm like, I'm really interested in just kind of like fulfilling dogs needs and just all the, everything that you can do for a dog just based on enrichment is pretty exciting to me. And then consent behavior stuff. I'm like really excited to learn more about and put more into practice. Yeah. But just that, that kind of, I think that, um, just that little bit of education, that little bit of perspective shift can make such a huge difference between, um, a dog and person relationship. Well, thanks so much for talking. And we should mention that you're doing, um, a lot of client communication these days for us. I sure. Yeah. And that we are running these free consults, which are bookable at schoolforthedogs.com slash free consult. And they are meant for people who haven't worked with us before. Um, But if someone wants to learn more about the professional course, they could book one and get you on the horn. That's a very nice idea. I hope somebody does that. I would love to chat with someone about it. have questions about dog training? Do you have a question about your dog? How to help your dog do something or not do something? Would you like some suggestions for some great toys for your dog? Some fun things you could do with your dog? Some awesome classes you can take with your dog? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you should go ahead and book a free consult with a School for the Dogs trainer. A School for the Dogs certified professional trainer is waiting to take your call. You can go ahead and book a free virtual dog training session now at schoolforthedogs.com slash free consult. Thank you so much for listening. And special thanks to Bill and Lizzie of Toast Garden for the amazing theme song. You can find Toast Garden at youtube.com slash toastgarden. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping at storeforthedogs.com. And you can learn more about us at schoolforthedogs.com. You can also connect with other listeners by downloading our brand new app. Just visit schoolforthedogs.com community.